Welcome to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Pod Rocket Academy. I'm your host, Bill Cates, creator of the Cates Academy for Relationship Marketing. In each episode, I interview one of our industry's top performers, getting them to pass on their secrets to success to you so that you can impact more lives and generate more income. Now, on to the show. Welcome, welcome. Before we get started with today's show, I want to let you know about a new tool we're offering to help you tap into the strategies and tactics that will help you create exponential growth. And it's so affordable, you may doubt its value, but that would be a mistake on your part. We call it rapid fire referrals. If you're new to my work, this is a great affordable entry point to start getting value right away. If you've been following me for some time, then this is a great tool to keep our processes and your exponential growth top of mind. One of our advisor clients nicknamed Rapid Fire Referrals the Habit Maker. In a nutshell, once per week for 52 weeks, you'll receive a short high content video lesson geared to provide actions you you can implement right away to start multiplying your best clients and turning incremental growth into exponential growth. The weekly lessons cover our processes designed to help you increase your client engagement, generate more referrals to quality prospects, turn referrals into actual connections with new prospects, and to message your value in more relevant and compelling ways. In addition to the weekly lessons, you'll also get a special bonus interview of me that provides you with a great overview of my complete system right at the very beginning. Now, while you may get sick of me after 52 lessons, I can guarantee you won't be sick of the results producing ideas provided in each video lesson. As a listener of Top Advisor Podcast, you will also receive $100 off the regular investment of $297. So that's $197 for all these lessons and the bonus interview. Just make sure you use the coupon code RFR100. That's RFR100. So do yourself a favor, head right over to rapidfirereferrals.com after this interview, rapidfirereferrals.com, coupon code RFR100. Now on to today's show. Every now and then I meet a financial professional who really gets it when it comes to messaging their value to attract their ideal clients. Perhaps the most important element in your messaging is that of empathy, You want your prospects and clients to see themselves, at least to some degree, in how you talk about what you do. My featured guest for today's show is Russ Thornton, founder and principal of Wealth Care for Women, headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. I believe that Russ does a great job in how he messages his value on his website, his LinkedIn profile, even the regular email newsletter he sends to his clients, prospects, and centers of influence. The concepts and the words that Russ uses act like a magnet to attract uh, the right fit clients to him. Now, let me brag on Russ just a little bit more, and we'll get into the conversation that I I feel confident you'll find interesting and helpful. Russ has been an advisor for 28 years in the mold of a fee-only fiduciary, while Investopedia ranks Russ as one of their top 100 financial advisors. I think one of the things Russ is most proud about is his client retention. He simply doesn't lose clients, or at least a very rare event. As you might have guessed from the name of his company, Wealth Care for Women, Russ works with successful women. 
and their husbands, if the husband knows what's good for them. <laughs> Russ Thornton, welcome to Top Advisor Podcast. Thanks, Bill. Excited to be here and uh, been looking forward to uh, our conversation. Yeah, I have too uh, for a long time. Uh, before we get into some of the ideas, strategies, methods that I that have contributed to your success, I'd like to start with what gets you most excited or passionate about this business, the work you do, the value you bring to your clients. In other words, why do you why do you believe in your value? What keeps you motivated? Uh, that's a pretty big question. Uh, I would say for me, it boils down to uh, helping others. I uh, I really get a charge out of helping others, seeing others succeed. Um, uh, a personal story that that might relate is uh, so I, I was never a great athlete, but I played a lot of sports growing up. Uh, and when I played basketball. Um, uh, basketball was not my, my sport, but I, I enjoyed playing. And for me, it was much more, more rewarding to, uh, make a good pass or mm. to assist than to actually score the goal. Uh, I think that, uh, I think that analogy has kind of stayed with me throughout my professional career. Uh, and so I feel really lucky and blessed to be, uh, in the role of an advisor where I can do well by helping others do well. Uh, I just really love to serve and teach and, uh, and see others succeed. And I can't think of another profession where I'm in such a great position to do that. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I, I've, I've found a lot of advisors while they may enter the field because, you know, they like being around money finances, maybe even have a finance degree, um, they like working with people. They like flexibility over their schedule. Um, all those are good. They like making good money. <laughs> all those are good things. But somewhere along the line, they realize they actually really help people and do very important work for folks. So uh, I, I the, the people that I tend to interview on this podcast are those people who have risen to that. Russ, I, I really want our listeners to get a feel for how clear you've become about your ideal clients and how you communicate that. Uh, to others. So my first question is how long have you focused on women? Why did you make that decision to focus on women? And how have you refined your target or ideal client over that time? So having been an advisor for, you know, knocking on the door of 30 years now, I, I would say, Bill, I've focused on women um, increasingly over the last 15 or so years. I, I'd say probably have have focused pretty deliberately for the last 10 or so years, but it wasn't probably until about eight years ago where I explicitly started to message around my, uh, my focus on women, um, supporting women, um, especially women that are kind of in their fifties, sixties, getting ready to retire. Um, uh, that includes, uh, as you mentioned in, in kind of the intro that includes, um, you know, uh, both women that are married, women that are on their own due to divorce or widowhood. So it, it still covers up a fairly broad swath of, of women. Uh, and so I'm always, um, and something I'd maybe love to get your input on later. I'm, I'm always kind of wrestling with how, how dialed in do I want to be versus how dialed in do I need to be, uh, how, how narrow. Um, but I would say, uh, it's really evolved over the years, Bill, but I would say for the last eight years or so is, 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 is when I really kind of put a, um, a flag in the ground and said, no, this is kind of my, this is, this is my market. These are the people I love to serve uh, and feel like I can add the most value to. What, was there anything particular that you recall that tipped the scales to say, okay, now I'm all in 
obviously you were moving in that direction and, and it became natural. You probably got a lot of referrals, introductions to other women. So it grew organically, naturally. But did something happen that you said, all right, I got to make a decision. I'm all in wealth care for women. You know, there wasn't there wasn't like this, uh, you know, this crystallizing moment in my memory, but I think it was a combination of a lot of things, uh, you know, kind of hearing the uh, the ongoing drumbeat of the benefits of focusing on a niche market, being more narrow in your messaging and your marketing. Uh, I heard that, you know, for a long time from folks like you and other uh, other industry leaders. Um, and then, as you mentioned, just kind of my uh, my natural um what turned to be a natural market, getting introduced to, referred to more and more women, um, especially those going through divorce, widowhood, uh, losing their spouse. Um, they just you know, needed some help, some support, things like that. Um, so I think it was a combination of of those um, those couple of kind of undercurrents, if you will, um, combined with you know just finding myself really enjoying uh, working with women. I, I think uh, I think my particular approach to advice. Uh, and communication and relationship building, I think, and I'm painting with a broad brush here, but I think I think it generally um, really seems to appeal uh, and um, and resonate with women more so mm -hmm. than um, you know than um, than men. But uh, again, there there are always going to be exceptions. But I, I I don't I don't think there was a one you know kind of of moment in, at least in my memory bill but I, I think it was just kind of a culmination of a lot of things where i i finally said you know why why fight it um i might as well embrace it and uh you know kind of make it my own and that's what i've tried to do since well if you enjoy it too and enjoy the root word of enjoy is joy don't always hear that word a lot in this business so uh, i i you know i've watched your website change over the years uh one thing that's remained the same uh, in my history with your website is your why and why women, women and the story. Uh, there was a time when you had a photograph of you and your dog and your wife, I believe. Uh, but there, there's always the, you know, why does this man focus on women? So real quick executive briefing, uh, share that why with everyone. Yeah. So I, I think big picture, um, you know, we've already kind of touched on my, uh, my, um, my reason for focusing on women, um, which is kind of self-centered, but, um, you know, thinking back to my personal history, my mom, about the time I was graduating from college, uh, my mom and dad went through a, a divorce. Um, my mom had stayed at home, raised my two younger brothers and I, um, and, and I, thinking back on my childhood and family life, I, I, I couldn't have grown up in a better family. So to kind of see the wheels come off as I'm kind of entering adulthood kind of really rocked my world. My dad had been very successful. Um, he had actually been a career financial services um, employee, so he, he had done really well. Um, and so fast forward uh, a couple of years, um, they get divorced. My uh, mom gets a lot of assets, uh, a lot of spousal support, um, child support for my two younger brothers who were still at home at the time. And today uh, she is in her mid seventies and um, to basically just come out and say it. I mean, she's had, she's kind of had some, some big financial challenges. She's kind mm -hmm. of gone through all that money years ago. Uh, she actually had to declare bankruptcy a few years back. Um, and I love my mom uh, as do my two brothers. We uh, want to support her and, and we'll, you know, help her out as best we can going forward. But the financial decisions she made, 
uh, in the wake of her divorce from my dad, um, you know, is going to, you know, kind of be with her for the rest of her years. And indirectly, it's also going to impact my brothers and I. Um, and so having seen what I think could have been a very, very different outcome uh, for her financially uh, and, and personally, um, having seen that kind of go off the rails, um, I've just kind of taken it upon myself to help uh, other women um, you know, avoid a similar fate. Um, and it, it's, it's not divorce focused, um, necessarily, although that, that can obviously be part of the circumstances, but it's really just helping women, um, you know, have a comfortable, uh, and confident lifestyle, whether that's transitioning into retirement or, or whatever circumstances they may face. So the, the language you use on your website and LinkedIn profile is about as specific as I've seen, any advisor use, uh, and you mentioned that we may want to talk a little bit about, does this make sense to be as targeted as you are? Uh, for example, on your website, you, you state peace of mind planning for women within three years of retirement. That's pretty specific. And your LinkedIn profile states, I help women in their late fifties and early sixties retire with clarity, comfort, and confidence. Again, fairly narrow, uh, so what what has driven that specificity? Um, I, it wasn't always that, right? One time you said I, women who were, you know, nice women, friendly women or something right, right. on your website, right? Uh, so you've gone narrow over time. There must be something driving that other than people like me saying, be narrow. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want to discount your, uh, your advice <laughs> and influence, Bill, but um, yeah, I mean, for, First of all, I mean, women, as much as I enjoy working with them, they're, they're not a niche. I mean, that's basically half of the population. So, um, mm. and I started out early in my journey down this road, uh, really focused on divorce because of my mom's story and my personal kind of experience, you know, seeing her go through what she's gone through. But frankly, I, I learned while I, while I still work with and have the opportunity to help women that are you know, dealing with different stages of divorce. Um, I just didn't enjoy the divorce uh, work as much as I do the kind of the broader financial retirement planning. Um, and so if, if I'm not focused on divorce, um, you know, how can I still be specific and relevant to the type of women that I most want to serve? So I took a step back and really looked at my clients um, and, and try to think about not just um, objectively in terms of revenue and time spent and things like that, but also subjectively, who do I most enjoy working with? Who do I think most uh, gets the most value from our relationship and from the advice that I'm trying to impart upon them? And I really kind of narrowed in on women that were, you know, generally between age 55 and 65, plus or minus. Um, a lot of them are, you know, um, corporate you know, professionals. Uh, some, some of them are, you know, stay-at-home moms. Um, there's kind of a, a wide variety uh, of subcategories under that, but kind of the overarching theme were uh, women in their mid fifties to mid sixties that are, you know, thinking about, you know, what does life look like after work or what does, you know, this next chapter of my life look like? Um, how do I plan for that? Um, and, uh, and so I, I kind of embrace that and that, that's been my focus. As you mentioned, I, I like to kind of tinker and play around with copy and words and things like that. And so, um, I'm always kind of, uh, adjusting and, uh, and, and playing with, um, you know, how I try to position myself. Um, and so that does change from time to time, but I think the, I think the, 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 the kind of the, the the backbone of the message has, has remained fairly consistent, I'd mm -hmm. say, for the last few years. 
I want to encourage uh, everyone listening to take a look at uh, at least one page on Russ's website. Uh, his website, as I mentioned, will be in the show notes is wealthcareforwomen.com. And then you could put the forward slash services, but the services page. And so he says things like, I help women retire. You're a woman in your 50s, 60s. You've accumulated at least a million in investment. Uh, investments. You want to strike a balance. You value. I mean, it's it's language that someone, a woman, can be reading this and say, "Yeah, yes, that's me," or "No, that's not me." And so it qualifies, disqualifies, uh, helps you therefore attract the people uh, that you want to serve. And as you mentioned, you serve the best. So we know that when we target a market, not only does our messaging get more effective, as we're discussing right now but we become a better advisor for them, right? You know their world a little bit better than a generalist because you've seen more examples. You had your mother's situation as well. Anything you'd like to mention about how you think your clients benefit by this focus of yours? What, what one or two things do they get from you that you think they might not be able to get from another advisor? I, I think you, I think you actually hit it on the head, Bill. I mean, I, I think it's, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a, a product of, uh, of, of a degree of consistency uh, of talking with women in a similar life stage, a similar financial circumstance, um, having been asked questions or uh, heard concerns that they have uh, and, and also having asked them questions. Um, and so does this mean I am the uh, preeminent expert on women in their 50s and 60s? Uh, you know, hardly. Uh, but I think that a woman that uh, kind of, um, you know, fits my target market, my descriptors and my criteria, uh, I think would be very well served by someone like me versus someone that, um, you know, works with everybody. Um, and as much uh, as as you and I, I think, would agree that there uh, there is a general consensus of the benefits of working with a more narrow niche market. Uh, I think that's still the exception and not the rule. So um, I think the fact that I know uh, that that the women that I serve are, are often concerned about their aging parents while simul- uh, simultaneously concerned about their adult children that are graduating college and might want to come home and live for a year or two until they're kind of getting on their feet. Or, um, you know, uh, these women are uh, simultaneously uh, worried about, you know, what if something happens to me? Uh, what if I'm not married? Um, you know, uh, can I afford long-term care insurance? Um, which is a, a fairly consistent concern among the women I'm talking to. Um, and again, going back to a question you asked earlier about uh, why women, um, one of the things I really appreciate in my work with women is that they uh, generally seem to be very focused on quality of life. So it's not just about how is the portfolio performed? What have you done for me lately? But it's how do I translate these financial resources into a great life for myself and or for the people or organizations that are important to me, whether that's family, friends, church, charity, you name it. And so having having a degree of experience uh, in having those conversations and guiding those uh, decision-making processes with women um, in this age range and in this financial uh, situation, I think gives me a, a leg up on the more generalist advisors out there that are talking to a woman like this, but, you know, they're also dealing with, you know, uh, small business owners and uh, physicians and dentists and, you know, everything else that's, that's out there. Well, I think th- this, what comes to me right now is that word empathy again, because 
you've seen it. You've seen a lot more than someone who doesn't focus in the way that you do. Uh, you have stories, you have examples, you have case studies. So you can share that. Uh, you can probably ask questions that show and demonstrate a little more insight into what someone might be going through that someone who doesn't have the, the, the focus and the experience that you do uh, can do. So again, they, they see themselves in how you talk about what you do, the questions you ask, how you explain your value, et cetera. Um, let's shift a little to uh, client loyalty, client engagement. I know, and I mentioned earlier that you never or rarely lose a client. Uh, you, you said to me as we were preparing for this interview that, and I hadn't heard this before, I like it, that you characterize your planning, the financial planning, as the, uh, in quote, central nervous system, right, of everything you do with your clients. Can you explain that a little bit? And how do you talk about that to your clients? What do you mean by central nervous system? I, we can kind of guess, but I'd love to hear it from you. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I think, uh, I don't think I'm alone in experiencing or hearing about uh, advisors um, who really use planning as a sales tool or as a proposal tool. So mm -hmm. um, um, a lot of advisors, rightly or wrongly, uh, go through the financial planning process um, just so they can identify gaps that they can fill with products or advice. And then the um, the financial plan often becomes an afterthought. Uh, it, it might not be re revisited, or if it is, it might be several years down the road. The reason that I refer to the planning work I do as the central nervous system to my relationships with my clients is um, it is present in virtually every conversation I have with my clients. Um, and uh, it's interesting, actually, Bill, when I've, I've brought clients on that have worked with other advisors, uh, I, I honestly think, nope, nobody's actually said this, um, but I honestly think that they too kind of think, oh, we're going to go through this planning process so Russ can invest my money and then, you know, then he'll become an investment advisor. So I've actually seen clients, you know, it can sometimes take 12 or 15 or 18 months, but I can actually see the kind of the light go off above their head when they say, oh, we're actually going to, you know, do continual <laughs> planning. So, um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking about, or, or the image that comes to my mind when I say that, you know, it's the central nervous system or, or the centerpiece to, uh, to all the work and advice that I provide. Everything kind of revolves around it or precipitates out of it, whether it's investments or insurance or risk management or estate planning or tax planning or whatever. Um, as opposed to many advisors, not all clearly, but many advisors who simply see the planning process as a way to sell a product or, um, you know, lead the client to a kind of a desired outcome, if that, yeah. if that makes sense. That makes total sense. In fact, uh, I've experienced that personally uh, in advisors I've worked with, whether they've kept the plan alive or not. Um, I, I've done a, a ton of, uh, as you know, coaching and helping folks with their value prop and figure out and how to talk about what makes them different. And not a lot of people use that as a differentiator. And I, I think it is a differentiator at this point. There was a time when planning was a differentiator. Not so much anymore because everybody talks about doing a plan and a customized plan. Now, there's probably degrees of proficiency and capability in that area, but nonetheless, everybody talks about it. Uh, but uh, what's kind of replaced that as a differentiator is keeping the plan alive, keeping it 
as that working, living, breathing document conversation um, throughout the relationship. And I, I know that clients appreciate that versus letting it sit on the shelf and wondering, you know, why do we do that? So yeah. in, in just a minute, I want to talk to you about your writing and podcasting and, and how those activities bring value to your prospects, to your clients, to your practice. But first, let's take a short break for a word from our sponsor, who makes this podcast possible. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. Proudmouth. Tired of chasing potential clients? We help you spend less time selling and more time advising by amplifying your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more. Be your own loud. I want to invite you, our listeners, to check out all of our free resources at referralcoach.com forward slash resources. That's referralcoach.com forward slash resources. It's in the show notes. On this page uh, of our website, you'll find guides, checklists, videos, all types of uh, courses, checklists, you name it, to help you grow your business. And uh, while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our weekly tips where we will continue to provide uh, value and alert you to more podcast episodes like this and virtual presentations, et cetera. Uh, and while these resources are free to you, I think you'll find them quite valuable. Again, referralcoach.com forward slash resources. So back to my featured guest today, Russ Thornton, based in Atlanta um, or near Atlanta, Georgia. Russ, I find your weekly newsletter very interesting. It's interesting reading. And I understand you had a podcast, but you've discontinued or about to discontinue that. Uh, before we get into the details of these two outlets, first of all, I'd like to discuss your why behind your writing. What motivates you to write your own blog? And you probably got to work with compliance a little bit in, in some of that, I guess, you know, and then send it on a weekly basis. And you do it at least weekly, if I'm not mistaken, if not more. What, what's the why behind that? And how, how does it benefit you? My the primary reason I write, Bill, is is selfish. Um, I, I write to help my myself think. Um, it, writing for me is a process to kind of clarify my own thinking or to challenge my own thinking. So if I uh, if I read an interesting article or I I listen to your podcast or I, I hear uh, I hear someone say something that um, you know kind of piques my interest. Well, I might make a note of that uh, and come back and revisit it, and then I can write about it and try to communicate my thoughts in a way that I think would be accessible and digestible for, you know, the average um, Jane out there um, who I might want to work with. Um, and so, first and foremost, it's a way to clarify my own thinking and to uh, to help me uh, hopefully become a better communicator. Uh, Secondly, um, the reason I write is it's another touch point with my clients and, and more important than my clients, uh, potential clients and centers of influence. Uh, and so it's a way for me to uh, at least attempt to stay uh, more top of mind with uh, those individuals. Um, I think uh, so much of this business is timing being at the right place at the right time. And so I think anything I can do to uh, to both, raise my profile uh, to make it easier to find me online or for, for someone to kind of check out who I am and see what I'm all about. 
but also to regularly reach out to people, share my thoughts, and uh, hopefully, uh, again, be more top of mind. So if they get asked a question or uh, think of someone that might need uh, to talk to me, um, that increases my odds of being, again, at the right place at the right time. So um, there are other benefits, um, but uh, I, I would say those two are kind of uh, rise to the top in my mind. So, all right, let's get to the nitty gritty of why I find your your uh, newsletter uh, fascinating, and that's the, the subject lines. We know that the purpose of an email subject line is to get the email open. That's that's the purpose, pretty much. Um you use a lot of one word subject lines or other things. So for instance, one recent came through was crock pot investing. Not something you normally hear words put together. You know, you can kind of guess what that means because it's letting certain things simmer over time. Right. Um, what are, remind me, what are some of the other titles that you've used? The single words, the two words, uh, that have been creative and fun and maybe even gotten reaction from, from some of your clients. Yeah. Well, one, one I know I sent out a probably a couple of months ago that I, I think you actually replied to one was uh, cloudy with a chance of purpose. Yes. Um, I love that one. I sent one, out. Yes. Um, and then as you mentioned, I send out a lot of one word, um, uh, one word subject lines. So one, a recent one was uh, alacrity, the word alacrity. Yeah. Um, and like you said, yeah, I'm just trying to pique interest and get people uh, interested to keep reading. So um uh, I try to keep them <laughs> subject lines. That is, I try to keep them short, sweet. I try to keep them uh, interesting, maybe a little bit um, almost arresting. Not, not like I'm, I'm not trying to go for shock value, but I'm trying to, um, you know, maybe plant an idea that um, might, you know, someone might receive it in their inbox and say, "Huh, I, I wonder what this is about." Um, Great curiosity. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, yeah, those are a few that that come to mind. Cloudy with a chance of purpose. I love that one. I was trying to figure out how I could steal that. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, and you get a big open rate, so we know it's working. Alacrity, uh, you know, that's probably your vocabulary lesson for the week for a lot of people, uh, myself included. So <laughs> I don't know. I just got a kick. And for the everyone listening, uh, this makes it fun. It's almost become kind of your branding a little bit, right? They expect this from you now. And they probably wonder what's the next one going to be and what does that mean? And so it just, it all, it all feeds into the theme, if you will, uh, of working with you. Uh, I am curious to shift a little bit on podcasts. This is a time when a lot of advisors starting to do podcasts, the sponsor of my podcast, uh, Proud Mouth, uh, helps advisors create their podcasts. I've interviewed a ton that are doing very well with podcasts. Not that it's for everybody. It, it's not. So what made you decide to discontinue? Was it just too much work for you? Was it not getting the reception? What's behind that? Uh, so I started my podcast bill, I think, in early 2020. Um, you know, little did I know that we'd all be dealing with COVID and the, uh, mm -hmm. the aftershocks of that uh, shortly thereafter. Um, and I started my podcast as a... Uh, as kind of a solo cast, a monologue where I would just pick a topic and talk for 15 or 20 or 25 minutes about it. I quickly discovered that um, I just didn't enjoy kind of talking into the void. So I, I took a little time off and kind of kicked it, kicked it off again and started doing, um, you know, having guests on and, and having conversations, which I really enjoyed. Um, but what I ultimately concluded is after, you know, a little over 50 episodes, 
because I was doing them about, you know, pretty much uh, weekly at that time. Um, I just didn't enjoy it as much as the writing. Um, so that's not to say that I might not revisit it at some point. I might not, uh, you know, get some help from, uh, from others like the folks at Proudmouth or whomever um, to have some additional support. Cause at the time it was me doing, doing everything. Um, it wasn't too burdensome, uh, but frankly, I just, I didn't enjoy it again as much as I enjoyed the writing. Um, the writing makes me feel like I have a little bit more of a feedback loop with my clients because they can, you know, easily hit reply, share their thoughts, um, you know, almost kind of have a conversation, which I, I have with a lot of my readers. Um, and so the podcast just felt a little more disconnected, um, not to saying, uh, not to say that it couldn't be much more effective or uh, much more beneficial. Um, but I, I just, have have since decided to kind of stick uh, double down on the writing, if you will, um, and let the podcast, uh, it's still out there. Obviously I'm not producing new episodes, but I've got, I think 54, 55 episodes that are, are out there for uh, people to listen to. Um, and like I said, who knows, maybe, maybe I'll revisit it in the future, but I, I just uh, really enjoy the writing more. And so I decided to just kind of run with that for the, for the time being. Sense, uh, it's a lot of work uh, to do it, uh, especially if you're doing it all and not getting some support. So, Bill, a question I would love to get your input on mm -hmm. is, and we touched on this earlier in the conversation, is under the topic of a niche and target marketing, um, how narrow is too narrow? Um, like that's something I always wrestle with. I'm sure maybe other uh, other of your listeners probably wrestle with the same thing. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, generally speaking. And this is general, and I'll, I'll get a little more depth, the narrower, the better, because your messaging is better. It, it, people see themselves in the messaging better, as we've talked about. Uh, the mistake that a lot of people make in their messaging um, is that they, they try to cast too big a net, or they'll say, well, you know, I don't want to leave those people out, and I don't want to leave those people out. So what happens is the bigger the net you start to cast, if you will, then the weaker your messaging gets. And so it's less likely to catch anyone. Now you can have, uh, in marketing, they often call these personas or avatars. So a persona for you, for instance, uh, could be someone who's three years from retirement. That could be one fit between, you know, late fifties, early sixties could be another. They may not be three years from retirement. Uh, so there's different ways to divide it up. And what you do is you have, different messages for each. And so you don't try to, it's hard to create a broad message that hits the this, this specificity that you need. So that's a little bit of now criteria for a big, not big enough. Part of it has to do with the geography too, because if you're in a small town and you don't want to expand the geographic reach, which we know is easier now because of using Zoom and tools like that. But if you don't want to do that, then that will dictate a little bit on what type of target market you might try to go or the size of the, the scope. Generally speaking, you want it to be large enough, large enough to make it worth the, the energy investment of time and energy and maybe a little dollars here and there to, to reach the market, et cetera. So it's got to be large enough to sustain that decision. doesn't have to be for the rest of your career, but large enough to make it make sense. Uh, they have to have the financial capacity for what you do, obviously. And, and, you know, on your website, you state million or more of investable assets. Uh, there's other ways to state that, but the, or you pick a target market that, you know, they're more likely to have the financial wherewithal to take advantage of the work that you like to do. Um, 
a, a big part of a target market, which focusing on women is it's a little bit of a hybrid in a sense that you're right. It's not really a target market. However, the narrower you get, the more it starts to become one. For example, uh, women business owners, there are associations of women business owners. Um, and, and even in companies, they have, you know, the, the women's group, if you will, to, to support them and, and help them uh, attain, you know, the, the, what the men have been able to and the women deserve equal, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I was very unarticulate on my part, but you get the idea. So uh, the narrower you get, the more it starts to become a target market because you can start to identify where they congregate in person, online, whatever that congregation looks like. Because you, you're a good target market, there are uh, formal and informal uh, lines of communication. They talk to each other. Now we know that women who go through divorce, they just tend to know other women have been through that. They support each other. So there are those at least informal lines of communication, if not the formal ones, like an association. So generally speaking, you know, the narrower the better, and you can have two or three very narrow. And, and the last part is what you've already talked about is, you know, you enjoy working with them. That's, that's also very important. Sometimes you have to figure out who you don't like working with before you find out who you do like to work with. But if you can create that joy, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I think what you've done is great. You live in a, in a large metropolitan area. There's certainly enough uh, women that fit the criteria. Obviously, they have the financial capacity. It fits all the things. Uh, and that's why it's working. And, and then your messaging, uh, they see themselves in your messaging uh, so I, I hope that answers the question a little bit. I, I think you're right on on what you're doing and, and it could change and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, they will tend to refer people like themselves. So that's something to keep in mind. Once you decide to focus, just understand that generally speaking, you will start to get introduced to people kind of like themselves. Any thoughts, comments on that, Russ, uh, that makes sense. Have you found that to be true? Anything at all before we wrap this up? Yeah, I, mean, I think everything you just covered rings true in my experience, um, and it's helpful. So I, I always appreciate your your perspective and thoughts on on this stuff. And as you said, it's 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 evolving. It's not static. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I like to kind of tinker and and use different language and and words and descriptors. Um, and so um, I I think even if I said, "Hey, Bill, I've got this really dialed in. I'm right where I." Uh, I'm right where I want to be. Um, like I, I fully expect that would continue to change and evolve uh, over time. So uh, I think uh, I think that's a I think that's an important point. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that. Thank you. So everyone listening, my featured guest for today's show has been Russ Thornton, President, Founder, Principal, Wealthcare for Women, headquartered in, near Atlanta, Georgia. Russ, thank you for all that you've shared in today's interview. Appreciate thank, it. Yeah, thank you, Bill. This has been great. I appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Now, if you, our listener, haven't already done so, please head over to referralcoach.com forward slash resources, sign up for our weekly tips, get all the free stuff, uh, and check out our newest tool, rapidfirereferrals.com. That's rapidfirereferrals.com. This is Bill Cates reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful. Only acting on those ideas will bring you the success you desire. Thanks for stopping by today. Thank you for listening to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Pod Rocket Academy. 
I encourage you to visit my website, referralcoach.com, for links to my books, online courses, and to register for the Cates Academy.